Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we get started with our episode, we wanted to remind you of a few ways that you can support and connect with the podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. You don't even need to leave a review. You can just go in and give us a five-star review. It really helps us continue the podcast growth and is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to connect with us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Conversations on Dance and Twitter at Convo on Dance. Sign up for our email list to receive an email notification each time we release a new episode. Click the link in the description of this episode to sign up now. Now, let's get into COD. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Michelle Manzanellas, Director of Ballet Hispanico's School of Dance. Michelle's formative years as a dancer were spent training at the University of Houston, ultimately springboarding her to a career as a dancer at Luna Negra Dance Theater under the direction of Eduardo Villaro, now director of Ballet Hispanico. She later became artistic associate and rehearsal director at Ballet Hispanico before transitioning to her present role as school director. She is also a prolific choreographer with upcoming premieres for esteemed companies like Paul Taylor Dance Company and Oregon Ballet Theater. We talked to Michelle about the importance of BIPOC visibility in dance and art, connecting to your cultural roots via ballet, and how she brings her varied influences to her work as a teacher and choreographer. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Michelle. Uh, We're so excited to have you on. Of course, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So we wanted to just start at the beginning, like we do with all of our guests, to find out a little bit more about how you first became interested in dance. Ah, uh, so dance. It, I mean, you know, I was thinking about this. I I don't remember a time where I wasn't didn't have dance in my life. Um, um, I have an older sister, 
and she was dancing. She's 10 years older than me and she, she danced um, very early. And so um, as a young child, I remember being in the studio, seeing her dance, seeing others dance. And then of course, home with family dance is a part of our culture and our life. And so, um, yeah, it's always been present. And at three years old, <laughs> when I became old enough to take classes at the, at the studio, my sister was training at, um, mm. of course I had to sign up. So yeah, I started at a very early age. It's always been right. part of my life. What was some of the early classes that you were taking? Did you jump into ballet? Were you doing jazz tap? What was of interest to you? Yeah, in the studio setting, I had that typical, you know, neighborhood studio, uh, uh, you know, the ballet tap combo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it branched out from there. Um, and then later started discovering other other styles of dance with that formal training. But yeah, and then and then at home going to, you know, quinceañeras and weddings and birthdays and, um, having, um, you know, growing up in Texas as a Mexican American, um, you know, uh, <laughs> always having a social dance as part of a part of the life as well. Right. Right. I, that makes sense. That's so interesting to me. I, I just think about that. Like I've never seen anyone in my family dance two steps, I don't think. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious, like how did that overlap with your, um, like more formal training? Like, um, it's just so interesting that it, it's, it's spilling over into your, you know, non-dance life as well. Right. Well, um, it's, it's, it's interesting that you asked me that because I feel like it hasn't been until the last decade where I've really, well, a little longer than a decade, but my, in my adult life that I really started making these connections, um, about culture, my culture, my, my coming of age and, um, my relationship to my formal training in dance. Um, but you know, when you, when you grow up immersed in a culture at home, but then you're living a completely different, you're, you're having a different cultural experience in your school, in, in my formal training in dance. Um, at one point I think I thought, oh, well, doesn't everybody have go to quinceaneras and go to weddings and dance with their uncle, you know, oh, to a or, you know, to like Tejano music. Isn't that normal? Um, but then I found <laughs> out actually, no, <laughs> it's not everybody's experience. And, um, when I, I, you know, so I grew up, as I said, dancing at a local studio, went on to the university of Houston continued my dance training there was, um, introduced to things like, you know, modern dance. I hadn't, I hadn't experienced modern dance until I went into the university setting mm -hmm. and then just continued to explore different types of dance. Um, and then as a professional, I ended up in Chicago dancing for a company called Luna Negra Dance Theater, which actually Eduardo Valaro, the artistic director of Ballet Hispanico founded, um, in the late nineties and, um, dance in that company. And that literally was the first like in moment <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, that, um, uh, connection, if you will, between, um, my Latino, my Latinx, Latina, um, identity, uh, began to collide, if you will collide at first, I think maybe, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it eventually synergized with the, the formal training that I had. And I began right. new exploration of of this whole other world of, of connecting those two, um, those two very important yeah. parts of my identity. Mm -hmm. I wonder, so was the, 
Go ahead. Oh, we're just, we're just, just both so I excited. Know. <laughs> Go ahead. I just want to rewind for a hair because I'm just curious. Um, before you went to the University of Houston, did you have, were you at a professional school before then? Or was it was like your prof- professional dance career uh, in terms of your education? Was that really in the university setting? Um, mo- I guess, I guess, you know, I was, I, I trained at a very, um, a very small neighborhood studio. Mm-hmm. I had a great, um, great pleasure and honor of, you know, having teachers there that were very supportive, um, and, um, pushing me, supporting me to continue going. They saw this passion in me for dance and how much I loved it and how, how, uh, eager I was to find out more. And so they would expose me to different like workshops and conventions and opportunities to perform, to meet different people in the, in that, at that time, the, the da- Houston dance community. Right. And, um, it led me to the university of Houston, but you know, my family did not have, I don't, you know, there's not other, um, professional dancers, right. um, in my immediate family or right, right. people in the arts. So I was, uh, going down a path that I wasn't familiar with or that I had seen other examples of. So it was really just mm-hmm. the, the, the grace and the support of those teachers that, that led me that way. And once I got to the university of Houston, um, my mentors there, Victoria Lofton and Joanna Friesen, they also were super supportive and then opened new doors right. to, take, you know, to eventually lead me to Chicago and now New York yeah. city. So right. I just like hearing about that. Cause I think that, you know, sometimes people might have dancers, students might have a picture of like what their path should be. And I think that there's so many, there's so many different paths. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's so nice to hear that, especially we love hearing about people who go to the university setting and have such a rich experience there. So that was why I wanted to circle. Yeah, back and, Re- and Rebecca, I'll say with that too, like, um, I love that you said that. And that's something that I'm so passionate about now because, um, you, you, you know, what you see, you think, oh, I have to go this path. Mm-hmm. And I, what you were pointing out is so important. There is no one path. There's, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways. And, and I firmly believe, especially now as a school director at Valley Hispanico, um, if you love dance, dance can be in your life in multiple ways. Right. There's not one success in dance. And, um, I love that. I love, I love the position I'm in to be able to hopefully share that with my students. Yeah. Right. So before you linked up with Eduardo, um, were you seeking forms of dance or seeking to have a career that was connected to your cultural roots? Or was it once you were there that you realized the ballet world at large, there was kind of a, a void for that? you know, that it was primarily promoting white artists, white voices. What, what was your journey with that thought process? Yeah, I think, you know, you, there are mirrors around us, right. And there are, there are examples around us. And, and quite frankly, up until I met Eduardo um, and had the opportunity to work with Luna Negra, I hadn't seen that example for myself. Um, I think, um, when I, the, f- the first time that I saw Ballet Spanico actually perform on a stage was as a university student, they came, they came to Houston and, um, the university, uh, was, um, you know, they always try to 
um, uh, encourage the students to see what's out there beyond, <laughs> beyond right. the normal scope of what they're seeing. And, um, and, but even at that time, when I saw them, I still wasn't really clicking because that wasn't something that was present mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, I was learning things from, uh, through, you know, through a white gaze <laughs> for, yeah. for like, yeah. a better way to right. say it. Um, and even when I went to Luna Negra, um, it, I didn't make the choice of like, I want to explore my cultural identity. That wasn't right. necessarily the the impetus for it but I just was um um I'm it was like a serendipitous connection um that happened that I'm so grateful for because it started a um an awakening for me in a way of Mm -hmm. like uh oh wait I need to I want to explore this it it, it created a desire to explore my own identity in a way that I hadn't before um and I think even now it's not necessarily like, I, you know, I love, so the, I'm, you know, I work with Valley Hispanico. Um, I've been there for, this is my 12th year with the organization. Mm-hmm. I started as the rehearsal director, um, artistic associate, and now as the director of the school. Um, and I just, I think it's just an organization of excellence. I don't necessarily say, oh, well, because it has, you know, um, an exploration of, of Latinx culture and cult, uh, centering Latinx culture in everything it does. That is wonderful and beautiful, but also it's just an excellent organization um, to be a part of. And um, so I feel very lucky in that way that I get to have um, my love of dance and uh, feel in community uh, in a very special way uh, in through the organization. Mm-hmm. We were just speaking um, last week with Ragamala Dance Company, and they were talking about how some touring really impacted them being able to see their culture on stage. And so I find this parallel with what you're saying and how if Valley Hispanico hadn't been going on those tours, you may not have had the opportunity to see them. And so I wonder how now in your new role as, well, not new anymore, but <laughs> as your career went on, your career um, at Valley Hispanico with the school, how d- does that maybe come into play when you're kind of looking at what the school should be doing and how you should be reaching out into the community? Yes. Um I think every time I have an experience with Valley Hispanico, um, I am reminded of the importance of representation. Um, I'll, I'll take us back a little bit to when I was a rehearsal director and, you know, touring extensively with the company. We work very hard to um, make sure that it's not just we come in and do a performance and leave, but that we're really um, engaging with our, our communities Um mm-hmm both in the audience and in the classrooms, students, talkbacks, everything. And um, every time there's one of these conversations or classes, um, different things uh, show up and, and reveal themselves. So I'll give you an example. We're at a Joyce talkback, you know, I'll say maybe eight years ago. And um, it was this amazing show. It was a, a, um, a group of audience members had stayed after. We did a talkback. <clears throat> and a, a patron raised their hand. They were so, they were so blown away by the performance, you know, and, and saying all these glowing things. And then they were saying, you know, we weren't even, we, we didn't know about your company. We just were subscribers. And um, this was one of the choices. And we thought, okay, we'll go to this show. They, they didn't know what to expect. And 
they made a comment similar to, or something like, you know, you're really good for a Hispanic organization. And, and, and in that, you know, you take a breath and you say, I don't believe for a second that, that they said that with any malintent or, or Mm -hmm. anything, they were just being honest in their own journey right of of experiencing different things mm-hmm. and because Valley's Manico does center these types of conversations it changes it right we're able to have a conversation about it we're, right. we're able to talk about it unpack it and like mm-hmm. um connect and it's a learning moment right we're all learning we're all unlearning mm-hmm. uh things that we take for granted or that we assume and so that's one example i think another example that really stands out to me is um uh I was able through the organization to create a summer dance program in Houston because we were, we were touring in Houston and oh. summer intensive. And, um, you know, I'd spent months, you know, uh, preparing and everything mm-hmm. and show up that first day, I walk into the classroom and I, to, to see this, the classes going and there, it happens to be a ballet class. And I look around this huge studio and there's all these beautiful Latinx students at the mm-hmm. bar. Um, I saw myself, I saw all these young, young, uh, a lot of young females, there were some gentlemen as well, but like, I saw myself and I, I literally got choked up and had to like walk outside, <laughs> go into the hallway and take a breath and think, oh, wow, here I am a woman in my, <laughs> the time I think it was in my thirties in my thirties, who was for the first time seeing a room like that that look like me in a ballet right. class. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just another example of like, again, why representation is so important. I'm not, and as I think about it, I've actually written about this and like, it's not that I'm saying, oh, if I had been in a room with people that look just like me and are exactly like me that I'd had, you know, this, like it would be better than some other experience right. that I've had. However, what does that do for a child when they see themselves um, reflected and and how does that open possibilities in their eye um, and, and change their path? So mm-hmm. yeah, there's so many stories like that. I love it. <laughs> That's so moving, and I think it's just so clear that yeah. I mean, we, we've we've talked to so many different artists on the podcast about the importance of representation and how it, it alters career paths and opportunities. Um, you know, seeing someone that looks like you can open your mind to that for the first time. Uh, I want to rewind a little bit and talk about your transition um, from rehearsal director and artistic associate to director of the school, um, because that's, that's a pretty big change in responsibility. What, what made you decide at that point that um, a shift from working with professionals to um, a pre-professional you know, student moment <laughs> Um, was going to be the right thing. And, and why, did, why, why did you feel passionate about that career move? Yeah. Um, well, I have been in my heart, a teacher and a choreographer and a dancer from the beginning. <laughs> like, I don't remember a time when I didn't think about that. There's a, there's a story I always tell about uh, that my mom shared with me. Um, when I was three, I started dancing at that local studio. Um, I, uh, walked in with a 45 record of El Raton Vaquero, which is this silly little song in Spanish. Um, and I told my dance teacher, could you please sit down? I want to show you a Adorable. solo that I choreographed. And 
she's like, no, we really don't have time right now. We only have five minutes before the class starts. I was like, that's okay. It's only two and a half minutes. It's going to be <laughs> and proceeded to have them all sit down and do that. Um, this mixed with stories of me forcing my cousins to dance and all that kind of thing. So what, what am I saying? I'm saying that I've always been a choreographer and teacher and education mm-hmm. has always been a big part of who I am. Um, when I was touring with the company, I love I love working with the professional dancers. I love um, making sure that the ballets and the choreographer, the choreography um, is protected and nourished. And um, I'd had opportunities to transition earlier, but I was like, no, I want to stay on the road. But there was something about this particular moment. Um, I'd been rehearsal directing for many years at that point. And this was with the company with Ballet Hispanico, right? With Ballet Hispanico, yeah. yeah. Well, before that, with Luna Negra, I was the okay. um, rehearsal director there and then was the artistic director for a year when Eduardo uh, transitioned to Ballet Hispanico. Um, and then I was at a Ballet Hispanico for seven years as rehearsal director when this opportunity mm-hmm. came up again. And there was something about that moment. I was like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to stop touring. And um and focus on this. And I'd been teaching when we, when we tour, we, um, I might teach on the road or, or, you know, do, do different engagements. And I love teaching. And I thought, and I don't know, I don't know the exact reason why, but for whatever reason in that moment, it felt right to make this transition and, um, um, and take on that big responsibility of leading a school that has a 50 year legacy, right. It's like, it's, it's huge. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you took over the helm of the school, um, what were some of the programs you were seeking to implement? What were some changes, uh, you know, being the director now that you thought were going to shift the school in the right direction? Right. Well, um, the wonderful thing is that there was already so many things established in the school. I think the biggest new thing that I was really excited about was uh, something we call Coriolab. And um, the reason that that this was important to me is I wanted to make sure that we had programs that were, um, there was something for everyone, right? So Choreolab is for dancers that are um, 18 and older. And it came from conversations with Eduardo of, we, you know, when we would audition dancers for the company, right. um, we we really wanted, there were some dancers that just quite didn't have the full skill set and needs that we wanted in a dancer for the company. Um, And we thought, how can we support them? How can we help them and make a difference? And so this program, Lab, is, it happens at the end of June every year, the last two weeks of June. And it's really an immersion into what it's like to be in a professional company and more specifically in a company like Ballet Hispanico, where you not only have to be a beautifully proficient technical dancer, um, but you have to be a chameleon because you're representing um, the many Latino cultures that exist, right? It's, we're not a monolith. We, there's so rich and diverse. Um, And there's, and we center Latinx, Latinx choreographers and their contemporary voices. Well, there's millions of, versions of that right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to be familiar to be able to do that. So how do we um, train dancers that are going to be open, that are going to be um, inquisitive, that are going to f- be discovering within the choreography uh, along with the, the, the artist, the choreographer, as well as 
independent thinkers that are bringing their own opinions and minds and hearts into the work. That's what makes the work so special um, is that when you see the company, um, you see this beautiful array of different experiences in each of the individual dancers that they bring to the work um, and it makes it so rich. So yeah, so Corey Lab, I love that because we we um, we um, provide an opportunity for them to learn the work, be coached, be mentored by the company dancers, by the artistic team at Ballet Hispanico. Um, but also we do, the other big part of it is, um, that's very important to me is the real talk about the industry and how it's not, I think, you know, as a young dancer, I thought, oh, it's glamorous. You tour <laughs> in limousines and, you know, wearing diamonds and, you know, having this glamorous life. And it is very, it's very fun. It's very glamorous, but it's really hard work. Right. And so mm-hmm. illustrating that for them, having conversations about finances. How do I live in New York City as an artist on an artist salary? How do I, um, how do I take care of my body when I'm touring and I don't, I'm not in a, typical setting. I'm away right. from family, um, emotional, you know, health, all, all of these different things. So those are things that we highlight. And the, the other program, uh, that we, um, uh, started was, is called elevate and elevate is a summer program for beginner to intermediate dancers that are really excited. They want to take uh, additional training, but maybe they're not quite ready for, um, a, a summer intensive kind of feel. So, so we had programs in place, you know, that are, were very specific and we wanted to make sure that anybody that was excited about dance, interested in dance had a program that they could thrive in and grow in for where they were in their trajectory. So those are the two main um, components that we uh, um, added into the rep- into all of the programming that we have at mm-hmm. Ballet School of Dance. I think the other big thing is um, uh, we were talking earlier about what is, you know, what does success look like in the dance world? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're, if you're going to school specifically for dance, this is something that is super important to me to to look at uh, as the director to make sure that um, again, dance is a wonderful thing that can be in your life. It doesn't mean that the only the only reason you should train and dance is because you want to be a professional dancer on this stage. That's one right, beautiful absolutely. thing that can come out of it. But really it's like, um, how do we ensure there's joy from dance? And if you want to train to be in that professional company, we can provide that. But also if you just want to have fun and, and, and be in community and, and dance that you have a place to do that as well. Right. We talk about that a lot on this podcast because we're firm believers too, as like when, when we're teachers that not every student in your class is going to become a professional dancer and nor is that necessarily their goal, but you are also educating maybe the future donor base or audience members, you know? So there's like this whole community um, surrounding it. So we love to hear that, but at hearing you talk, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about how, well, you know, the company. And then now as running the school, I'm trying to think of like some, you know, there's a lot of big company school um, situations where the artistic director of the school maybe hasn't danced in the company or doesn't know the, I mean, watches the company, but came from outside. And so while you're not the only one, it's maybe a little more rare. So I wonder how that's also impacting the way that you're creating the 
um, syllabus for the school and what you're having the dancers learning and everything surrounding that? Yeah. Thanks for that question, Rebecca. It's, I, um, it's such a big question and conversation. I know. I know. (laughs) Because it, because yes, like, so, um, our company, um, is a contemporary company that, um, like I was saying earlier, we're a repertory company and we, the dancers have to be proficient in ballet, but also, um, they have to look just as beautiful in a neoclassical work as they do in something incredibly cutting edge, um, like say something by Gustavo Ramirez Sansano or Andrea Miller. Mm-hmm. And then they also have to be able to flow into a Ron Brown piece or um, so that's a tall order. And how do you prepare students for that? Um, and then at the same time, the dance world and especially in dance education, we are continuing to question what is centered? What is the most important thing? What is, how are we defining that? And um, so it's like this kind of chicken and egg, if you will, because we want to make sure that we're um, in that conversation, especially as a, as a culturally diverse organization, um, a BIPOC organization, that we're really thinking about our model, a model that we've been handed, if you will, to like kind of try to fit into. So like questioning the model, being cutting edge, like pushing it forward, but at the same time, making sure that if they do want to go into a company that exists, that they're ready for it. Right. I don't know if I'm, if I, and you can feel free to ask me further questions, 100%. About it. but it's like, um, it, it's, it's hard. And so I'm, I'm trying to be more in conversation with, you know, universities because also if we're preparing them for a university program, um, how is that conversation, um, in a circle, if you will, in a, in a, in a round, because the company, right. So we feed universities, which feed companies, Mm-hmm. Um, and how are we working collectively to push the field forward so that we're not just um, repeating what has already been there um, and that we're really making um, headway into changing the way and broadening um, what we value right. <laughs> uh, in, in the dance world. So I don't know if I answered, I'm like, what was the question again? But no, um, you did. You did. <laughs> Let's shift gears for a second and talk about your work as a choreographer. We, we've already heard about your two and a half minute solo for your teacher when you were a kid. So I'm curious how things have come along since then. You've got some really big commissions coming within the next year or so. And I'm curious, like with all these influences that you had growing up, like all these different forms of training, but then also like the social dancing, like how does that find its way into your work? Um, can you just tell us a little bit about some of your upcoming commissions and what your um, choreographic voice kind of um, prioritizes or looks like? Yeah, I, um, well, I feel super fortunate to be um, working on multiple new commissions. One is uh, for the Paul Taylor Dance Company. Um, it will be premiering in 
June of 2022 at the Joyce Theater. And this this commission has been in the works for so long. It started pre-COVID <laughs> and has survived in the COVID Yay. times. Um, I'm also uh, finishing up a work for the Oregon Ballet Theater, which will also premiere in early June in, um, in Portland. And um, I have a work for Montclair State University that will open at the beginning of April um, and working on some other things that are still not official. But um, I think the main thing for me, um, Michael, that I'm feeling great, for lack of a better word, great (laughs) uh, about is that I, through my time and like what I was telling you about, like, you know, Luna Negra and now Valle Sponico is that I um, have done a lot of exploration about my own identity. And as a choreographer, I, I am centered and focused on authenticity, mm-hmm. <laughs> authenticity and um, knowing that I don't, I have uh, the power <laughs> to put on stage whatever I want to put yeah. on stage. <laughs> and that I don't have to fit in a model. I think as a young choreographer, I wanted to look like my works to look like what I had seen in a way, a weird way. And um, I've been given these opportunities, you know, along the way to really question and think about what is my voice um, and how am I authentic in telling different stories, my stories. Um, so that's exciting to me because I feel like I, I challenge myself when I, when I'm, when I'm editing something and censoring something, I'm like, why am I telling myself no mm. in this moment for that? Why couldn't I use a pop song by Radiohead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like why not? Um, and so that's what I'm most excited about is just this um, telling myself, yes, go for it, Michelle, go for, try it. What, what will happen? Let's see what happens in these, in, in these different works. Right. This is interesting again, because here you are, not only are you very involved with Ballet Hispanico, but you're also involved with other companies in the country and other, and you're traveling to other universities. So as a leader of a school, you know, what's happening in the dance field right now. I think that's very unique because Mm -hmm. we've been in schools that are directed by people who are thinking about what ballet looked like in the 60s or you know whatever as opposed to like now you know so I that's so interesting and then I wonder how that also helps you kind of like lead your students then when they're asking like what would be a good place for me and you say I was just at Oregon Ballet Theater and these dancers Mm -hmm. they it might be something that interests you the rep is very much your movement quality you know Mm -hmm. things like that yeah developing um connections with organizations whether they be universities or companies um, is very important to me to develop pipelines that I trust. Like right. I want to send my students to uh, schools and companies that um, where they're going to thrive and where they're forward thinking and where they're, you know, um, evolving <laughs> and not just staying right. stagnant in the past. Um, and, you know, I'm all as, as the director here, um, it's important to me to be parts of organizations like National Association of Schools of Dance, which were accredited by NASD, mm-hmm. and to be in conversation with these different directors 
Um, because again, there's, it, we, ha- we need, we need to be in conversation, right? So if I'm sending my students to your university and then eventually you may be sending your university students to our company, um, or your educators to our school to teach, um, we need to understand each other and make sure that we're, we're talking about topics that are coming up and, and, and what our values and where we're headed. Um, so yeah, it's very important to me to be connecting, um, even with the schools in New York city. I love that I right. have relationships with, you know, Ailey and Martha Graham, Lamone, Perry dance, um, you know, it, it's great to be in community and working with each other. Yes, there's like, you know, there's a competitive vibe, right? Always. And, and we're, we live in the United States. Hello. But at the same time, how do we lift each other up in the dance world and make sure that we're all um, being successful and um, raising this next generation? Right. So thinking of raising the next generation, what are some long-term goals you have for the school? Like um, things with places you'd like to see the school in five or 10 years. Yes. Um, so I'll, I'll talk to talk to you about it in two different ways. One, one way is making sure that as educators, we're constantly questioning our pedagogies and methodologies um, and, and being aware and in the conversation around social justice and raising leaders, raising um, beautiful citizens of the world that um, gained these, these skills and experiences through Ballet Hispanico. So, you know, how do you speak with a teacher who's been teaching for, let's say, 30 years mm-hmm. and make sure that we're not, like, we're always questioning and we're not right. just holding on to what our teachers did. So that's one area is that we're always in the cutting edge of education as well as the science behind it. So how are we listening to our, our friends, for example, like at Harkness, about how many hours we should be training, um, how are we mm-hmm. looking for our mental health um, leaders around um, how we can be supporting students in that way. So that's one area. And then of course, for the students, I'm so ready for them to be performing again yeah. um, and you know, engaging with the community. Um, we have a new professional studies program. This is another, oh, I, I didn't mention that earlier. So that was another big change last year is our professional studies um, program. We didn't have an 18 plus year round program either when I came into the school. So they train during the day, Monday through Friday, um, 1030 until five o'clock next year will be nine to five, like the company, basically their schedule. And um, we have a wonderful scholarship initiative called the Palante Scholars. So this year, every single student in the professional studies division is a Palante Scholar, meaning they receive a full tuition um, scholarship with around $15,000 in support. Um, Of course, that doesn't do it all, right? They still have to live in New York City. They still have to make a, a life here. But I feel like it's extraordinary for, you know, in the dance world to be able to provide that. Um, but we want them to be performing. We want them to get their chops here so that they can make that bridge between student and professional. And so that's right. really the goal um, of that. But yeah, for the students, it's like more performance um, and the younger students in what we call La, La Academia or La Academia, which is our pre-professional training program. Um, we've always been able to provide um, performance opportunities that they audition for. So that, again, they're, they're understanding the process and like that you, you know, 
it's a commitment. <laughs> you don't just get to do it because you signed up for classes. Um, but we've been working for years to try to get back to having a junior ensemble at the school that, um, again, prepares them for those ones that are really wanting to be in a performing company. Um, those lessons and, and all of that wonderful thing, wonderful uh, information you get when you're out in the community uh, performing for audiences and engaging um, with the people. Yeah. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about your summer course that you guys have coming up this summer and are, is it still open for auditions? How can people get involved if they're interested in looking into it? I would love to talk to you about our summer programs. <laughs> <laughs> our programs are the best. Michael and I talk all the time about how they were just like the best time. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's fun. I mean, I, I, I love that at our school, we're seeing repeat students every summer. They're not in our year round programs. They come to us from all over the, the country and also other countries. We have a strong connection with Puerto Rico, uh, with Mexico, different, uh, Panama uh, students from all over, but yeah, our summer intensive is a three-week program. It runs from July 18th to August 5th. It's for ages 12 to 23. And um, our dancers train in the morning in ballet in the afternoon. Um, they're going to be taking um, consistently on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Spanish dance. It doesn't like our students at Valley Hispanic, of course, or have more experience, but any right. student is welcome to come in. We have all different levels to um, make sure that everybody's experience is wonderful. Um, in addition to that, they're learning, there's um, a plethora of contemporary forms in the afternoon as well. Everything from, you know, different classical modern genres like um, Limone and um, Graham and Dunham, um, but then also contemporary, cutting edge contemporary teachers in the field come in and work with our students, floor work, um, improvisation, um, movement invention. Um, and then they're going to take things like, um, you know, some salsa, some, you know, different Latin rhythms, as well as musical theater. Maybe they, you know, maybe they're going to get a acting class in there. Maybe they're going to get, you know, just, we, we try to, again, dancers of today, if you want to be successful, you want, you have to be at least exposed and, and, and understand different styles. If you're going to be working with these different choreographers, and then if they right. find a passion for it, hopefully they'll go and study even more extensively in these mm -hmm. areas. But that's basically the summer intensive. It's an audition program. Auditions are still open. We're about to have another audition. All right. I think the cutoff for, um, uh, application for audition is coming up, um, in a few days. So check it out sooner than later. Hopefully they'll, they'll get that, but, um, they can, st they can also do a video audition. If they can't do the in-person audition, um, check out our website for the details on the specific dates, Choreo Lab, same thing. Again, that program runs, um, the last two weeks of June. And then beyond the audition programs, we have a wonderful, um, summer program for our educators. It's a professional development for dance teachers with, we bring in different um, speakers. It's really fun. And one of the things that sets ours apart, I feel is that we actually um, have the teachers able to observe classes that are happening. So you're seeing the practice in action and then we're talking about it. Um, yeah. And learning. And then that happens uh, the week after the 4th of July week. And then in addition for our, for just students that are non-audition programs, we have everything from age three um, and up. So starting with our Los Explorers, which is our early childhood um, ages, 
we, we take that creative dance to the next level because we use culture and um, discussing different countries as the entry point into their learning. So they may be traveling to Mexico one week and the next week they're traveling to, you know, um, Venezuela or something like that. And they're learning about the country and the culture and also learning about dance. Um, yeah. And then we have our Los Adventures, which is for that, um, for dancers ages six to eight. And then we could start to be immersed more into techniques. So like they, they still have the elements of camp of making crafts and learning about countries, but then they also learn a little bit more about ballet and some uh, flamenco as well as modern um, in the, in the class, some, maybe some Afro-Cuban. Um, and so that's that program. And then the last one is Elevate, which I talked about earlier. Um, and it's for that, uh, inter- beginner and intermediate dancer that is ages um, nine to 18. So I like go to our website, www.valleyhispanico.org. Find out all about it. I just I like- love what, what a range there is of um, programs. Like you really, I, I love that educators are not forgotten, you know, as a teacher myself, <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I, but you know, it's like what you were just saying about how, um, you don't want to, as a teacher, I certainly don't want to just get stuck on autopilot, you know, doing what I've been doing for X number of years. You always want to stay at the forefront of what, and question why things are, are the way they are. And like, are there ways to adapt it and improve it? So um, I love that this, you've got programs that run the gamut, you know, it's, it sounds really wonderful for anyone who wants to get involved. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think, um, professional development is a big part of it. And I've learned so much, even just in my time at Valley Hispanico, um, it's, it's important. It's good to keep learning, um, and to stay relevant. Mm -hmm. Uh, just quickly before we let you go, we wanted to also touch on your Latinx dance educators Alliance that you co-founded and hear a little bit about that program and what it is and can people get involved? How does that work? Yeah. Um, so, it is a passion project that came up in the pandemic, like so many people, <laughs> uh, but, um, my dear colleague, uh, Carrie Avalar, who is an amazing dance educator and dance scholar. Um, we've been working together for many years through Valley Hispanico and, um, over our time as educators, we've collected so many resources and things that we share with each other and we share with our fellow dance educator friends. And we thought, why not make this accessible to anyone that is one, that is needing resources as an educator? It's hard enough as an educator out there. So it is a free resource site. It's um, our, our own separate organization that we founded together. And um, there, uh, we are continuing to develop different ways of what, what does it mean a resource? So resources, yes, as in like, um, there's a database of different collection of um, pedagogies and methodologies, um, articles, books, music, um, a dance directory, choreographers, all Latinx centered, but it's for anyone. It's not just for people that identify as Latinx to use this resource site. And then in addition to that, we're very um, much dedicated to things like creating a space for plática or conversation, informal conversations with our Alliance members. So Alliance members are, are uh, educators that identify as um, uh, in the Latinx uh, diaspora and um, are, are committed to helping us build out these resources 
as a team. Um, but then we also do things like testimonio. There's a blog on there um, that's titled, I was there también. And basically, I was there too. Right. Uh, basically, <laughs> saying, basically saying, you know, you read that review and you're like, wait, I was there as well. And like, I have a different opinion on this, or I'm looking at it through a different lens and I want to share my perspective. So it's not just through one gaze, right? We're not getting our information through one source. Um, But yeah, that's, that's Loud Next Dance Educators. Check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. We definitely hope all all of our listeners will check that out. And um, we thank you so much for your time today, Michelle. Um, If you're in the New York area, enroll your kids in Valley Hispanico's amazing programs and or go see the company when when they're in town so thanks so much michelle thank you you. all right before we um wrap up today we just wanted to share some cod news with everyone um mikey we're gonna do another listener survey we haven't done one when was it last time it was two years ago maybe okay but um it was uh we were so thankful to everyone that participated we had almost 200 people um write in with um not only their you know demographics and where they're from and all that good stuff but also just giving us good suggestions a lot of which we were able to follow up with um later on in future episodes so it's funny everyone will participate yeah i was looking at some of them today because we pulled it up and i was like oh we've check, check, like not everything, but we got to do a lot of things that people um, suggested. And of course, the information about um, who you are, why you're associated or how you're associated with dance and ballet is really helpful to us and helpful um, when advertisers reach out to us, anything like that. So just so we have a better understanding of who you guys are out there and we love hearing from you too. So um, we're going to start the survey today. It will be on our website, conversationsondancepod.com. We're going to be running it through April 1st. So you have a couple of weeks to go ahead and fill that out. It's only going to be a few questions. So it should take just a few minutes of your time. And it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, We'll also have it on our social media too, um, if you're looking for it. So we really would appreciate it if you guys went ahead and did that. We look forward to hearing from all of you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.